You are listening to America's Healthcare Challenge on the Mighty 1290 Coil, the Mighty1290Coil.com, and the Mighty 1290 Coil mobile app. Once again, here's Sean McGuire. And joining us now here on America's Healthcare Challenge, one of the brightest minds on healthcare in Omaha, former CEO of one of the largest provider networks, now back in town, up to an extraordinarily interesting task as a CEO of a new startup company, trying to handle all of these challenges coming from healthcare consolidation. Mr. Wayne Sensor joins us on the program. How are you this morning? Thanks for joining us Sean, here. I'm doing great. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for the invitation and looking forward to chatting about healthcare today. Oh man, there's a lot to chat about, isn't there? There indeed, and it's on everybody's mind. So what's been on your mind? What have you been up to these past couple of years? And, and can you tell us a little bit about what brings you back to town? Absolutely. Well, the last year and a half I've spent with an interesting firm called Levitt Partners, which is a business consulting firm based in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, The company was started by previous Secretary of Health and Human Services, Mike Levitt. And basically, we studied in detail the changes that are occurring in the healthcare industry so we could advise clients as to how to deploy resources or where they might take their companies from a strategic standpoint. Mm -hmm. And while I was doing that consulting, I had an opportunity to look at a really fascinating young company called EnsoCare, and I liked it so much, I ended up being the CEO here in Omaha. Wow. So so what does EnsoCare do? The the word Enso, is that a Japanese word, meaning the whole care? That's, that that's right? exactly right, Sean. Uh, ENSO means circle, and uh, our view of ENSO care is that we're a company that provides a circle of caregivers wrapped around the patient to coordinate your care more effectively. ENSO care is a software company at heart. Uh, we're also a service provider. We sell software that helps acute care hospitals discharge patients more efficiently and effectively into post-acute care. So to pick the right place to go, uh, the software also en- enables the family uh, or the patient to be able to be involved and engaged in the decision. And then lastly, software which helps coordinate that patient's care once they've left the hospital, hopefully avoiding readmission to an acute care setting. Now, why is this so important? I think a lot of our listeners don't really understand behind the scenes because it is kind of wonky with, with all of these changes in healthcare and how doctors are going to be getting paid differently, hospitals are getting penalized, uh, in particular on readmission and other things, and that's kind of one of the things you folks are trying to help tackle, right? That's exactly right, Sean. I'd say it's, it's important for a couple reasons, and I'll start with the obvious one is it's better care for the patient. Uh, a more coordinated care, a care team that's communicating, uh, identifying where patient risk lies and intervening early, that's just the best patient care. But beyond that, as you've suggested, embedded in the Affordable Care Act was language that penalizes acute care hospitals for readmissions, and it is a very significant penalty. It's about to double in October, and it will double really? again the following year. So these are, are really substantial penalties if a patient is readmitted to a hospital for a previous diagnosis. And so a couple of examples of those would potentially be like congestive heart failure, pneumonia, any others? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, uh, acute myocardial infarction is the third uh, diagnosis, or DRG, as we say, uh, that is part of the baseline. So in essence, the federal government looks at a hospital and determines, f- based on that patient population, those three diagnoses, what the expected admissions, readmission should be. And if you exceed that number, they'll begin to recover the cost of that care by penalizing the hospital in the following year. So... What you're saying is if they're readmitted within a certain amount of time, that hospital will will essentially get less money? 
they essentially will. The, the penalty will occur in the following year. But uh, in essence, yes, the federal government will withhold those funds uh, from their Medicare payment uh, a year hence and a very significant amount of money. Gosh, I got to imagine hospitals all over the country are trying to handle this. Are they are they just what, what are they what are they saying? What, what, what are the folks, some of your clients talking about right now? Well, uh, I have spoken with hospitals across the country, and I would I would submit that uh, it looks about like a bell curve. You've got some hospitals that really hope that the world will go back to uh, the previous state. You've got the majority of the hospitals that understand, you know, this is the right thing to do anyway to address these issues and to coordinate care more effectively, and they're searching for solutions. And then you have a few that are on the other end of the bell curve that are uh, well down the path. And and I'd like to say looking for solutions like EnsoCare or, or others that allow them after the discharge has occurred, you know, that used to be where their responsibility ended. It does not now. So looking for solutions like EnsoCare that will allow them to identify where the risk is for patients so that they can have early interventions, so that the care team can communicate effectively and intervene on behalf of that patient. Gosh, we're talking with Wayne Sensor, CEO of EnsoCare. Really neat new startup company here in Omaha, Nebraska. It seems like they're saying more and more that Omaha and Des Moines and Kansas City are kind of like becoming the Silicon Valley, if you will, for startups. What do you think about that? And how, how do you like being a part of an entrepreneurial team as opposed to your previous experiences? Well, f- first to Omaha, I might just say, you know, this has been a, a great location for businesses for years and years and years. There's a wonderful talent pool uh, here in Omaha, Nebraska, in the, in the greater Omaha area. Um, and a climate that's very favorable and supportive of, of both existing businesses and new. So uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, it does seem like we have a growing uh, software development presence in the community, and that means we've got some workforce that are well-trained and uh, that we can use in that capacity. And on a personal note, I'm, I'm having the best time I've had in a very long, uh, long time. It's great to work with a young company that's trying to bring solutions to the table to help fix this very complex problem uh, that we're facing in the healthcare industry. Uh, and it's great to work with a young, inspired workforce. So can you talk about some of the EnsoCare solutions a little bit more in depth and then maybe comment on the issue of how do we fix personal responsibility? Because I think with a lot of these things, you, if the people, you can't force a person to take their meds, for example, right? That's exactly right. Well, let me speak first to the solution, and then we'll come back to personal responsibility if we could, Sean. So a really quick story that might be relevant here. Uh, about two years ago, uh, my mother had a fall. My mother was about 90 years old at that point in time. She was admitted uh, to a hospital not, not here in Omaha. And uh, I was in the room with my dad uh, the afternoon before her discharge. The discharge uh, individual from the hospital came in and said to my 90-year-old dad, uh, whom she lived with independently, you're going to need to take your, mo- your wife home tomorrow. And, oh, by the way, she wasn't physically capable. She wasn't ambulatory at that point and needed uh, some considerable assistance. And so my dad was was thrown into the situation of very quickly he and I trying to find a short-term nursing home placement or skilled nursing placement. Hmm. What the EnsoCare solution really brings to the table um, in, in our product that smooths the discharge process is two things. First of all, the discharge planner at the hospital can send out an electronic query. Uh, they indicate what the clinical needs of the patient would be, uh, when, when the bed would be needed, et cetera. And that post-acute uh, provider community then 
uh, has an opportunity to respond and say, yes, we have the services needed to care for this patient, and yes, we have uh, the ability to take them on Tuesday, for example. Mm. At the same time, there's a portal that allows the family members and the patient to also look at the options. And then when they come together and plan the discharge, the discharge planner simply hits basically uh, one function and an extract of that medical record is pulled out of the hospital's medical record and sent to the post-acute provider. The other ENSO care solutions are really about coordination of care post-discharge, and we build a, a care circle, a, a coordinated care effort around that patient. That could be uh, their primary care physician, a specialist, maybe a social worker, maybe family members, and they're all connected together so that they can, they can monitor the patient's progress uh, based on a, uh, on a care plan that's established before discharge. And if they stray from that, it suggests that their risk of a readmission is increasing. And so it Will would it literally them? alert uh, mm. the care team and say, you know, a patient missed a, a critical appointment, for example, or maybe their biometrics are, are headed the wrong direction, and so we can have an intervention. Um, to personal responsibility, Sean, that's, a, that's an entirely different uh, venue. So, <laughs> and I'll, I'll just offer to you, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I will never bash the Affordable Care Act. I think certainly parts of it have been good for the country. Parts of it are problematic. And uh, I didn't get the, to write the law. You were a lot closer to it than I was. But what I would say is one of the unfortunate things from my perspective is there's not a lot of personal responsibility built into the Affordable yeah, Care Act. I agree. And at the end of the day, I mean, the reality is we talk a lot about chronic health care conditions in the United States. And, and one of the realities is a, a lot of what causes uh, chronic disease is our own lifestyle choices. So, uh, you know, I think we need to all find ways to be more engaged in our health. I think we need benefit plans that encourage personal responsibility and that reward the right behaviors. At the end of the day, uh, we as Americans also need to step up. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean... It's hard. It's hard to. Uh, it, it it just puts a lot of these hospitals and providers in a tough position when they're trying to do everything right, even employing the most innovative technologies. And if the person still smokes a cigarette after being in 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 the hospital for congestive heart failure, what what's the answer? Yep, that's absolutely right. Uh, you certainly do. Um, I think particularly the employer community that that still carries a lot of the uh, cost of healthcare in the United States. There's certainly a lot of innovation going on on benefit design, for example, to reward good behaviors or, or, or good lifestyle choices and maybe even uh, uh, penalize those that don't make uh, such good choices by the cost of your care or your deductible or copay going up accordingly. How do you think we educate the population? We're talking with Wayne Sensor, CEO of EnsoCare, a really neat startup company here in Omaha, www.ensocare.com. If you want to read more, but how do we, how do we educate the population? Do you think? What do you think the answer is? I know it's you know we're kind of pontificating a little bit, but oh, that's all right. I think that's I really think that's going to be the key for for bending the curve long term. I think people need to understand why medical inflation is growing at such a high rate and that they can control some of it. I suspect there's a, a number of ways, Sean, that we could bring the public along. Uh, on the dialogue about personal responsibility and the changes that need to occur in the healthcare industry. Uh, certainly, I think there are opportunities from a public policy standpoint for us to consider uh, how the government can influence uh, and, and uh, cause perception to occur. Um, one of my favorite targets is actually uh, medical schools. I think how we train our, our physicians and allied caregivers 
um, to uh, begin to inter- to begin to inc- include in their curriculum things like uh, team-based treatment because that's really I, I think the gold standard these days. Yes. Uh, and, and also, you know, how they coach and interact with patients on these kinds of topics. I think that's another another good place uh, uh, to do so. And, and, and radio shows like this are a great <laughs> well, opportunity. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. well I, I think it's it's going to be something that's going to take a national effort. I don't know if you remember Princeton economist Stuvie Reinhart when he said that any health reform efforts like putting a man on the moon. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And I think it couldn't be more right. It's I think it's going to take all, all forms of government, private industry, and states leading. And you had some exposure to Utah. You said you lived out there. And I believe they had a, a state-based health reform initiative. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you have any exposure to that out there? I, I did, Sean. It's a, a great reflection. Utah, interestingly enough, is one of only two states in the United States that had a health insurance exchange previously. Uh, it's actually been in place for about five years and uh, actually been been functioning quite successfully. And, and what I would submit, uh, at least from a Utah perspective, my experience is uh, that opens up the health care purchasing decision uh, more transparently. Um, it, it, we, uh, we as a firm, Levitt Partners, actually uh, had a defined contribution for our employees as opposed to a defined benefit. So we made a contribution on their behalf of X amount. Uh, you then as a person, as an individual, got to get onto the exchange. And literally um, a year ago when I signed up, I had 130 plan choices. Really? 130. So you can pick if you want to take a lot of risk. You know, the contribution by your employer is probably more than ample to cover that cost. Uh, if you want a Cadillac plan and you want to take no risk at all, it's probably going to require or will require additional contribution on your behalf. Uh, you can pick based on uh, the panels. So, for example, a, a narrow network may be just a hospital and group of physicians, but not multiple hospitals, and that would have a price point assigned to it. Mm-hmm. Or you can buy a really broad panel. Uh, or you can select by price or by deductible and copay. So it, it really begins to enter market forces uh, into the buying equation. And I think that's one of the things that's been missing in our industry as opposed to any other industry in this country. You talked about defined contribution a little bit. I, I think that's something that's that's going to be coming up. Do you, do you see that being more and more, more and more employers providing? I mean, do, they, do you think they need to be a, of a certain size or can anybody employ that model? Uh, uh, two res- two responses, I would say. First of all, yeah, there is ample evidence that there's a movement toward defined contribution and away from defined benefit. And to our listeners this morning, uh, in that regard, you know, defined defined benefit means I, the employer, will pay whatever it costs for you to have a certain set of features in your health plan. Defined contribution, which is where the market is moving toward, uh, really speaks to I'm going to contribute a certain amount for you, my employee. Uh, and if the cost of those benefit increases, then you're undoubtedly going to be paying more out of your pocket as an employee. Uh, there's very clearly a migration of plans toward defined contribution, uh, which puts more of the risk on the individual. Um, so I, I, I think uh, clearly there's a movement afoot uh, there for that to occur. I think, I think you're right, and I think as employers, especially smaller employers, continue to see their renewals going up in the double digits at least, you're probably going to going to see that. Do you think that's a good good thing for the system in general, uh, Mr. Sensor, to, to have more of the individual-based, uh, pow- you know, individual consumer-based power as opposed to these groups? I don't know that I would say that's a good or a bad thing. I, I, I might frame it, uh, Sean, in the context of risk. 
One of the things that's occurring that is really important as we consider what's happening in the industry of healthcare today is a migration of risk from away from the payor and to the provider and or individual. And that has huge implications. So to my colleagues in the, in the hospital industry, this is a tough time because now they, through a number of different features of the, of the uh, Affordable Care Act, uh, are actually taking risk for populations of yes. uh, uh, patient populations. And that's something that they have historically not done. They've, they've been paid to do procedures. They've been paid for admissions. And, and we're moving from that toward uh, you're paying for a, a, an episode or a diagnosis. You may be even taking full risk for a population. So that's a very different way to, to frame the challenge uh, from a provider perspective. Some of that risk, though, is also inuring to the individual, as we just alluded toward a, a moment ago. And, and uh, hopefully that will cause folks to think a bit about their own lifestyle choices that they're making. Um, and, and hopefully that will uh, encourage them to make great choices in the future. You know, you articulated it well. It's just a real paradigm shift of risk, and especially on on these new healthcare providers, I could almost see some insurance companies going away. Any final thoughts on how to your colleagues in the provider community how how Enso Care can help them? You know, save their bottom line from these looming penalties. Well, Sean, I appreciate that uh, that softball. <laughs> I, I don't know that they will uh, that I'm going to save their bottom line, <laughs> but uh, I will tell you what Enso Care is prepared to do is uh, first of all improve the patient and the family's experience being discharged from acute uh, toward post-acute. And secondly, by by assuring that that transition occurs smoothly, we'll, we can affect their length of stay in the acute care hospital, uh, which uh, is good news for the for the provider community. And last but not least, and our care coordination products, which really help a group of individuals provide uh, provide support of that patient after discharge, identify when risk is rising for that patient to be readmitted, and intervene early before the patient's back in the emergency room. That's better for the patient, better for the family, and certainly better for the hospital. I like it a lot. www.ensocare.com if you would like to read more. Mr. Sensor, thanks so much for your time here on America's Healthcare Challenge. Thank you, Sean. It's been my privilege. Thanks.